coming up on This Week in Radio Tech, we've got not one, but two real treats for you today. Chris Tarr is on the show, not really as a co-host, but as a guest. He's going to be showing us some pictures of what he's doing today, installing some antennas for, a, for an FM translator. That's coming up, and Scott Feibush is with us. Scott has an amazing announcement at the end of the show. Don't fast forward, watch the whole show. And he's also got some great information about a, uh, an FM radio station that is in way upstate New York. That's pretty interesting. Plus, information on turning in AM licenses, EAS, and station brokerage. It's all coming up next on Twerk. This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Broadcasters General Store. With outstanding service, savings, and support. Online at bgs.cc. By Broadcast Bionics. With the Bionic Studio, including talk show control, social media, and visual radio, Broadcast Bionics brings exceptional audience engagement to radio and TV. By Angry Audio. Audio problems disappear when you get angry at angryaudio.com. By Nautel. Worry-free transmission you can count on with outstanding control, reliability, efficiencies, and Nautel's unmatched 24-7 customer support. Online at nautel.com. And by MaxConnect Wireless. Prioritized high-speed internet service designed for transmitter sites and remote broadcasts. Hey, welcome into This Week in Radio Tech, our 634th episode, the show where we talk about everything from the, the microphone to that light bulb at the top of the tower. I'm Kirk Harnack, here in the Nashville studios of the Telos Alliance and the Nashville studios for This Week in Radio Tech. And uh, it's a uh, like so much of the country, bad weather last night, more bad weather coming through, tornado watches have been in effect here and there, and more more tonight and tomorrow. So it's been it's, it's been exciting. That's okay. I got plenty of work to do right here at the desk. Now, someone who's not at his desk and joining us by the magic of telephony, it's Chris Tarr. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Hey there, Kirk. Hi. Well, thank you for that picture. <laughs> oh, oh that God. is fantastic. Uh, yeah. So, uh, anyway, I'm out in the field uh, putting up a, uh, a new translator uh, and antenna in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, which is just outside of Madison. So that's where I've been today, and the Kind of gray, sort of drizzly cold, uh, but you know it's always fun being out in the field getting stuff done. So having a good day, Chris. I understand. I understand that you can't stay with us for a, a long time, and Scott Feibush will be arriving, but he's not in front of his camera just yet. Why don't we go ahead and look at the pictures from what you're doing today, and I'll tell you which ones sure. up, and you can tell us about it. Okay. Yeah, I can see you, so I should be able to see what's oh, up. Okay. Okay. I see some antennas. What's this? Yeah, those are the. Those are uh, Nikon BKG, I believe, 77 antenna bays. Uh, there's uh -huh. two of them, and they're on the ground getting ready to uh, get tied up and, and rigged up and, and pulled up the side of the tower. That was uh, earlier this morning. It, it, tell me what kind of service is for. Low power, translator, backup, what? Translator. Translator. It's uh, 250 watts at 310 feet. Okay. Um. And it's a translator for our station in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. For those who um, don't know, these uh, these two individual antenna bays probably have some kind of a power splitter. You send the power, the RF, up the tower through a single coax, and yet we have two bays here. Tell us how that works. Spider, um, it is oh, sitting uh, in the back of the uh, of the truck here. Uh, uh, not not out in plain view, but there is a splitter that goes between the two, and you have to measure mm -hmm. the distance between the bays. It's you know obviously spaced by wavelength. So I think this one is nine point four feet. You know those two bays will be nine point four feet apart, and then there's a little combiner that coax goes into the combiner, and then there's two lines that come out, one to each bay. And uh, so just pr pretend we're talking to some novices here. Uh, why two bays instead of one or instead of ten? What do you, what's that? Yeah, what? why would you use a, a two-bay antenna instead of a one-bay antenna or a 10-bay oh, antenna? Oh, gotcha, what, gotcha. What's the magic yeah, of two bays? You know, there's, uh, and every engineer will give you a different answer. You know, there's kind of black magic about it. But mm -hmm. obviously, the more bays you, you know, or not obviously, because it may not be obvious, but the more bays you use, the more gain comes off of the antenna system, so the less power you need to put into the system. Now, there are trade-offs. Here and there with, you know, the number of bays and the wavelength spacing, you can go, you know, full wavelength, half wavelength. I've had, you know, a 0.8 wavelengths. Uh, so, you know, the, basically 
you think about it, the more bays you have, the more spread out the beam is coming off the tower. Um, and there's more gain, so there's less power out of the transmitter. Then the other way around with the single bay, it's a very narrow beam coming off the tower, and you need a lot more power because one at one bay is a negative gain. So you have to put more power into it because there's a loss involved with the one bay. So two bay is about unity gain. Typically, with this kind of antenna, two bays, what you put in is what you're going to get out. Cool. Cool. Um, let's see. By the way, Scott Feibush, uh is connected. So uh, we'll be going to Scott here shortly. We're going to get a couple more pictures uh, from uh, um, Chris here. Chris, I want to ask you one more thing. Th these these antenna bays, if you want to pop. Oh, oh there they are uh, up there on the tower. The, you said there's a power divider. Is the power divider nothing more than a T or is it a proper tuned power divider that's got some length to it of some kind? Uh, this one is actually uh, a tuned one, so it looks basically like a canister with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a port on the bottom and then two ports on the top. Okay, so so probably these so probably these bays, the, each bay is probably a fifty ohm bay. In other words, each bay could be a termination to the line itself without the other oh, bay if something went wrong with one of them. Okay, okay, yeah, especially with Nikon, these are broadband antennas, so. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they basically can be operated either ways. You know, you can add the power divider is more of a basic, you know, splitting the power among the bays, but they're not frequency yeah. dependent. Right. So okay. that okay. would be the situation there. Now you're looking on the top of the tower. Now you can see there's it's pretty loaded up. Um, there's a full power FM and then there's where the, the third translator on the tower. So, you know, the, the main FM's on the top and then as you work your way down, there are the translator antennas. Gotcha. And I, I see, uh, it looks like uh, two tower climbers on the antenna. What what frequency are they tuned to? The tower climbers, they're, they're resident right now <laughs> at about 99.5, which is the antenna. They're okay. All right. Cool. All right. Oh, okay. We have a building entrance here. What's that? Yep. So, you know, you always want to be a good guy when you're, you know, leasing space and putting in a, a, a port. You can see on the left side there, it done, you know, someone did it pretty poorly. And then you can see where I've got our new hole there, which is the, the bottom right. And we've got a boot that'll go over that. And that's the mm -hmm. entrance, the coax entrance into the building. And there's some nice big uh, grounding bus bar there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have a grounding kit on there now, too. You'd see it. I didn't have, unfortunately, I haven't gotten a picture yet of the uh, the line going in, but you'll see the line going in. And then there's, off of that, a grounding kit that goes to that that bus bar, and that's that's done on the outside of the building. And then you've got that green wire coming down from the bus bar. I guess what goes to the the ground system that's around the tower. Uh, yep, exactly. Cool. All right. What's next here? Uh, uh, and that's just a picture of the of the coax and the connector on the end of it, and kind of the ground kit hanging around there. And so that was before the uh, the line went into the building. Gotcha. Good deal. Hey, that's, no trespassing. That's right. I, I pointed at the uh, the uh, hard hat required sign while wearing my Max Connect baseball hat. <laughs> well, good. It's kind All of right. my look of, uh oh, I'm breaking the rules. Well, awesome. Uh, Chris, I, I know you're in the middle of a field. Your connection's not that great, um, you, but you've done a great job getting these pictures to us. And, and so what... What do you have to do to finish this job up? When when can you walk away and say, "Aha, we're on the air"? It's going to be probably another week. This was the I wanted to get the antenna in, and then you know make sure that that was okay. And now I just got to collect, you know, the rack and the transmitter, and you know get all of that lined up. I'm having fiber put in for audio uh, delivery and and that sort of thing. So this is the first step. Um, this is one that I have to have on the air uh, by mid-April. It'll probably be, you mm -hmm. know, I'll have it done in, I'm sure, about a week or so. Um, but I'll make sure to take pictures when it's done so that when we get together again, I can show you the finished product. Nice. All right. Looking forward to it. Any video you can get would be great, but uh, you have a good, safe time out there and cover your head up. We don't want nothing to happen to your noggin. Well, that's what my Max Connect hat's for. <laughs> I'm not sure connecting is what you want to do with falling objects. That's up to you, bud. Good point. Good point. <laughs> okay. Chris Tyre reporting live from the field. Thank you very much, Chris. I really appreciate you. Oh, you're welcome.
And now it's time to bring in Scott Feibush. He just came in off the road from um, <laughs> a very interesting radio station. Uh, is Scott is Scott there in a two shot? Is he available? Or a, Hello? There he is. Hey. How you doing, Kirk? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. Good to actually be sitting at home after being in the car all day. Uh, my my apologies to the New York State Troopers. I may have been going a smidge fast on the throughway, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> I'm glad you're What Have you ever done anything crazy in the radio business to get out of a speeding ticket? There was one time I was coming back from a concert in Buffalo. I was still working in TV news at that point. And I was actually on the air as a reporter. So, you know, some of the troopers knew me. It was like one in the morning and I was pulling back into Rochester. They pulled me over and took my license, looked at it and said, nah, we're not going to call you. And everybody would just get a good laugh out of it and let me go. <laughs> now that now that I'm just on the radio and doing stuff behind the scenes, not so much anymore. I uh, I got pulled over by a Kentucky State Trooper on my way to uh, to a rock station. Um, and um, I, the, 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 I told the guy where I was going. And uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what, if you'll get me the, my favorite Led Zeppelin song on, I'll let you go, but I'll be listening. <laughs> so, so, of course, I, I got to the station, you know, 20 minutes later, I ran in and I wasn't on the air. I, I told the guy on the air, hey, man, we got to play this song. I forget what it was. We got to play this song or else I'm getting a ticket. <laughs> Gosh. Well, uh, Scott, you've got some stories to tell us, uh, topical news stories, as well as what you've been doing today. And I'm eager to hear all about it. Uh, first, Scott, maybe you could, you're a little bit familiar with it. We're going to talk for just a minute about Nautel and the Nautel users group, the NUG meeting yes. that is coming up uh, in Las Vegas soon. Um, and I, of course, I have uh, dispensed with my notes. Let me see if I can bring my note up here that I sent off to uh, the Suncast. Suncast, you're probably going to be able to bring this uh, bring this up if you haven't already. Um, oh, there we go. Yeah, being there Sunday morning. Sunday morning, yes, I'm going to be there too. I think I'm giving a short presentation, so you don't have to hear from me for too long. It'll be on uh, this the newfangled, uh, you know, virtualized and container stuff, and how that relates to your Nautel transmitter. But you can join Nautel uh, at the NAB show. It's going on April 16th through 19th. Uh, they got they got a, a free exhibit passcode right here, so you can just you know copy paste that passcode from uh, Nautel LV seven six seven three, and then click on that register using this link and fill out the form. Yeah, put that passcode in, and you can get into the exhibits for free. You can also register uh, for free for the NUG, um, the Radio Technology Forum, Sunday, April sixteenth, eight thirty in the morning, Las Vegas time. So that'd be 10.30 for me. It'd be 11.30. I mean, you know, <laughs> Scott will be wide awake at the Flamingo Las Vegas. Uh, registration's open. Register now. And you can click the little uh, uh, video on there to see what it's all about. But this is a great event. Even if you don't own a Nautel transmitter, this is a great learning event because there are all kinds of topics having to do with the care and feeding of transmitters, transmitter technology, antenna technology, and also uh, HD technology. So that might be of interest to you as well. Basically, the things that that Nautel does, uh, they'll be talking about the technologies, and the Nautel Users Group is a great place to do that. So I encourage you to register for it. Go to Nautel.com and register for the Nautel Users Group that's going on. All right. All right. Good deal. Scott, right. welcome in. Scott Feibush is with us. We've got a few topics to talk about. And uh, first and foremost, I want to have some fun talking about what you've been up to today in uh, a place I've never heard of. What What's this little town that is uh, almost not in the U.S.? Beautiful Cape Vincent, New York. Um, if you kind of follow the eastern shore of Lake Ontario up till where it merges into the St. Lawrence River, and okay. on one side is Kingston, Ontario, Canada. And on the other side is this little town of Cape Vincent, New York. It's in the Thousand Islands area. It is really beautiful in the summer. Uh, today, I believe, <laughs> is the 2nd of March. It was okay. at least not as snowy uh, as it could have been. Uh, we'll, we'll say that for it. But there is a, a little Class A radio station up there uh, that was built, I think it's been on the air for about 20 years or so. It went on the air... Initially, as part of a, a two-nation simulcast uh, based out of Watertown, which is a larger city, about a half hour away, and it was the border. And they had 106.7, the border, which is still in Watertown, 102.7, the border, serving Kingston. Uh, it then ended up being leased out to one of the big Canadian broadcasters, Rogers, 
which runs its KISS format or ran its KISS format on there up until yesterday. And uh, yesterday, the plug got pulled on that, and there is a new ownership group uh, that is actually Canadian but is now allowed to buy radio stations in the U.S., and they began operating it uh, pending an ownership transfer yesterday. Uh, And they needed somebody in the U.S., uh, who could actually legally work in the U.S. to help them install all, the, all their stuff and get connected. And those are the kind of phone calls. Somebody calls me up and says, hey, I got a weird project for you. I'm like, how weird? Like, okay, <laughs> this, this meets the minimum weirdness to get me interested in making a three-hour drive up there and, uh, and playing radio with you guys. And so it's been fun because they are great Canadian broadcasters. Um, the guy who runs it uh, is actually a second-generation a Canadian broadcaster. He's kind of like me in that he's got his fingers in a whole bunch of things. He's on the air. He does a talk show on uh, on CFRB, the big talk station in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he and his partners own this cluster of stations across small town Ontario. They brought radio to all these communities, these little communities of a few thousand people in Ontario that never had local radio. And they figured out how to merge a little bit of local content and some local news and a digital web presence and then centrally programmed music and personalities, and they've made a nice little uh, chain of these stations. And uh, he had the opportunity to buy this station uh, in the U.S., and uh, I don't even know exactly what he's going to do with it yet. He's got a stunt format on it right now, and nobody's even told me what the final format is going to be. I'm as in the dark as anybody on it. Um, we're going to talk about that format in, in just a minute. Yeah. I, I, I've got to encourage people to, st- to stay tuned. That's going to be pretty interesting. Um, I'm confused about something. You you, you mentioned uh, while we were talking, while you were driving a couple hours ago, you mentioned that this station, this U.S. station, is owned by some Canadian people. Mm-hmm. And you said the rules have changed. I, uh, yes. Tell me about the, about the rule change that allows foreigners to own radio stations. Mm-hmm. This goes back now, I think about five years or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's a blur since the start of the pandemic. Dates have no meaning. But I think it was about five years ago. Uh, and the FCC basically said, look – we will now allow up to 100% foreign ownership of stations where I think previously the limit had been 35, 40, somewhere in there uh, with specific restrictions where it's got to be cleared literally by the state department. They have to do an investigation, make sure that there's nothing untoward that's going to end up getting broadcast and that, uh, that the owners are are reputable. Um, But there are some examples of that out there now. I don't know if you know Ricky Lee, who does a lot of like the, the air automation stuff. Um, he is a UK citizen and he is half owner now uh, of a bunch of stations uh, stretching from northern New York down into the Carolinas uh, and mm. has done very well with it. So this mm. is another interesting example of that. And it's fun because I get the job of telling people who have never done U.S. broadcasting before, hey, here are some of the rules that you have to play by <laughs> that there's no manual to tell you you've got to do this. But Siri uh, box, for instance. Uh, in Canada, they do have an EAS-like system. It uses those same blue sage receivers that we're so familiar with. Yeah. But those in Canada are all fed just by internet. There's a system kind of like our CAP system here uh, that distributes data through the Canadian equivalent of the Weather Channel. It's called the Weather Network up there. Uh, and that's all they have. There's no over-the-air reception. So I had to explain to them, listen, we've got to resurrect this antique FM receiver that was over at the other studios that wasn't in use and I got to reprogram it to change your primary stations and you have to monitor weather radio and don't worry, I'll just take care of all of this. Let me just tell you what it's going to cost uh, to get it working. And so we got, uh, we've got that set up in there. They didn't know anything about that. Uh, they're going to have to learn a little about EAS tests. I did. Uh, thanks to, thanks to our good friend, Tom Ray. Um, I got the primary station for one of them changed. It's part of a statewide NPR network. And I said, listen, Tom, You've got this with the primary that I got to listen to like 30 miles away. Uh, They've got another station right in this building. Do you care if I use that as my LP1 instead? He said, no, that's fine. I'll make the change for you. I said, that's awesome. I got uh, the high-tech antenna all set up. (laughs) This is is a replica. Where is it? There There we go. There's a replica of the high-tech antenna that I installed to pick up the transmitter 10 feet away. 
Um, and I am pleased to report it's coming in S9 plus 20. So we're, uh, <laughs> we are, we've we're got, all good at that. I'm struggling a little more right now with getting NOAA weather radio up there, but the next trip up, we'll get that fixed too. Now, now um, tell me real quick, you, you sent me a photo. Is this the right time to show the photo or, uh, or does it require we more could, explanation? We put later? that up here. Yeah, this is, uh, I think Suncast may be ready to uh, show yeah, that picture. That's, that's my baby that I was just working with today. And most of this I inherited from, I guess, several engineers who have worked on it. Uh, so the brand new pieces in that that weren't there when I started with this is all that automation at the bottom. Um, wow. Those are it's the automation from the Canadian guys, main and backup and a file server. Uh, and as of today, there is now satellite internet installed in there so they can pump files back and forth uh, into it. Those uh, old Marty STLs are at the top of the rack will be going away uh, okay. because those point back towards the old studio in Watertown that I think had yeah. a tell zip it or something that was uh, connected to Canada. Uh, so that part will be going away. The EAS box just moved in there today. Yeah. Um, if you look super closely above the not currently functioning Energionics, which I am hoping will magically turn into a Nautel GV something before long, uh, if I get my wish. But uh, it, it either needs to be a Nautel or get a front panel for the for down lower. Yeah, well, no, that uh, the, what's uh, what key, what's keeping it on the air right now? There's an Acresso in there that's got it on the air. Yeah, um, but that. if you if you pan back up a little bit up in the top corner, you can just barely see the ten dollar RCA TV antenna that got picked up at Home Depot in Watertown earlier this oh, morning yeah. to receive the other. I kind of see it. Yep. Yeah. So we're going we're going super high tech with a lot of this, but you know what? It uh, for now at least it gets the job done and. Uh, It'll get cleaned up and we'll make it look a lot prettier and hopefully get the building sealed up a little bit better and ideally do a lot more of it in the summer than on, say, the 2nd of March. That that automation, uh, am I wrong? Does it kind of looks like a play out one? It is. You noticed, okay. Uh, okay. You noticed well. It's, that's exactly what that is. And two instances of that right now. I, I just got the switcher to be able to set up to switch from one to the other. So that will go and, in there so soon and... Yeah, there isn't a a live local studio there. They they program or they feed files to the Playout One via that internet connection, right? That is the live local studio, such as it is. And I mean, yeah, these days, yeah. it qualifies. I think I could plug a mic into it, I guess, if I had to. But they will they will be feeding files into that uh, from somewhere in Canada, and that complies with all the FCC rules uh, as they exist now. And I think eventually they may have something set up. But realistically, the market for this station is not in Cape Vincent, New York, which even in the summer has only a few thousand people. It's you know, a hundred and some thousand people across the river in Kingston, Ontario. Um, well, I, actually one of, uh, one of my transmitter sites, uh, in Greenwood, Mississippi, uh, we, we had some difficulty with an STL shot and we had to move our studio location out of a historic building and into, a a building that's well, not so historic. And we just decided, look, we no longer have a morning show. Let's just put the automation at the transmitter site. We had the, the mm -hmm. transmitter site happens to be the head end for a wireless ISP. So they've got great internet there, there all the time. Uh, and, and so the automation is there. And, uh, and I, I know other automations uh, afford this as well, but Playout One does allow you to go live through an internet connection if you want to. It also allows voice tracking, you know, like almost everybody does. But, uh, you know, you, you, could, you could go live from about anywhere on, on the, the Playout One system. Well, that's pretty the big, interesting. The big limitation right now is just going to be bandwidth for them. You know, satellite internet yeah. isn't going to do a lot. I'm trying to talk them into at least putting Max Connect up there as a backup at some point. Ah, so is it kind of rural? Is that why they can't get quick, uh, you know, wired internet? Yeah, Spectrum is like a three quarters of a mile down at the other end of the road, and it was too expensive for them to run fiber down. So, yeah, we yeah. shall see. Right now, it's satellite, and I don't, I don't even know. Come to think of it, the the public radio station that's back behind my rack, I didn't even look carefully at how that's fed, but I, I don't even know what's feeding them. Honestly, might be a satellite mm -hmm. feed, could be an off air pickup from somewhere. I was too hey, busy we're gonna. We're going to take a break here, Scott, real quick, and then um, uh, we want when we come back. I want to hear more about this format. It's a little bit yeah. interesting. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's a format. Well, you said they're stunting, so we'll see if they stick with this format or go with something else. Scott Feibush is with us. Uh, Chris Tarr kind of began the show, showing what he's been doing today with some FM antennas and a, and a translator. Uh, our show is brought to you in part by Broadcast Bionics and the Bionics Studio. 
This makes life so easy to be really involved with social media, getting the stuff on the air. You need to get on the air. So many different ways. Broadcast Bionics can help you out. Let's hear from them. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Bionic Studio. The Bionic Studio brings all audience interaction to the fingertips of a production team in radio, TV, and podcast. Our workflow-led system is working 24-7 around the world for small broadcasters and national and international networks. Our telephony module, Bionic Talk Show, allows cost-effective centralization, remote operation, scalability, and resilience across an entire network of stations, but at the same time is used in single-studio self-op environments. Social media curation and activity is now considered a broadcast-critical part of programming. Bionic Social means the studio isn't overwhelmed with a wall of interaction from an ever-growing number of social platforms. We combine SMS, MMS and email together with a speech-to-text service for listeners using smart speakers. We enable studio teams to curate, filter and display all platforms in one place and post text, images and video content to multiple platforms in one operation. Effortless collection of video content with Bionic Director has helped position some of the world's most successful stations as leaders in viral content, generating appointments to listen and free marketing via retweets and shares. Bionic Contest enables end-to-end tracking of on-air competitions, live reads and prizes. These could be on-air contests, automated SMS entry or online. Anywhere and Skype TX for Radio brings high-quality audio and video contribution into the studio with ease. No need for dedicated PCs to run different applications. Everything is controlled within the Bionic Studio UI. And incoming connections are visible to users along with all other platforms. Our codec integration enables connection, algorithm configuration and directory to a wide range of IP and ISDN codecs. The Bionic Studio, a unique suite of products designed to enable your talent to work smarter. What a suite of fantastic products from the Bionic Studio, from Broadcast Bionics. They are in the UK, but they uh, certainly uh, make their products available here in the US from a number of different dealers. So check them out at uh, bionic, uh, bionics.co.uk or bionic.radio. Uh, there's links in our show notes uh, at the end of every show, so you can go click on them there. And uh, Dan McQuillan, the founder of Broadcast Box, is going to be on an upcoming show. I'm not sure now whether it's going to be before an AB or after an AB, but Dan will be on with uh, some really interesting news and technology that is uh, it's great interest to me. So maybe it'll be of great interest to you as well. All right. Thanks a lot, Broadcast Bionics, for sponsoring This Week in Radio Tech. I'm Kirk Harnack in the Nashville uh, studios of the Telus Alliance. Uh, yeah, you can tell. <laughs> Looks like a NASCAR car here. Scott Fibush is along. Scott, good to see you. Uh, and, and Scott has brought here. you by himself at Fibush.com, right? I am. And uh, this is probably as good an opportunity as any to mention the Tower Site calendar, which is still available in its 2023 edition. And uh-huh. uh, already hard at work gathering pictures and images for 2024. And uh, this is, uh, I think, about the date since we're coming up on 25 years of the calendar pretty soon. I, I, I owe two apologies. Number one to you for not ordering it until um, yesterday. And number two, I owe an apology to my wall right over here mm-hmm. where normally the, the calendar is proudly displayed. It's actually on the door to my server room is where I put it because I go through that door frequently over to the server room. Uh, that's also where the printer is. So you know I'm over there quite a bit. Uh, so Scott, uh, if people want to order that catalog, what do they do? It is at fibush.com and you just uh, click on the store link there and Lisa will get it shipped off to you in a day or two and you will have something nice for your wall for the rest of the year. Good deal. Uh, I did not pay extra for the signed edition, but I did order the one that comes with a coffee stain. I'm looking forward there you to go. that. Pre, uh, pre-enjoyed for your uh, pre-enjoyment. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, from the Dilbert comic strip, the brown ring of quality. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Looking forward to it. All right. So uh, we're talking about this radio station and we got a number of topics to get to uh, some a little sad as, as well, but things we got to face in our industry. But you were at this station 102.7 in uh, Cape Vincent, New York, way, way up. The, it's part of New York that, man, I have I've never even looked at that place on a map. And you you're uh, if you can throw real hard, you're in a stone's throw from Canada right there. 
There is uh, actually, the I, I, haven't, I haven't used it on this project, but there is a ferry. Um, if, oh. you, if you can bring that map back up again for a second that we had up before. Which, okay, oh, we don't. sorry. There was, if, if, you, if you look across, it's Wolf Island is the, is the Canadian island that's adjacent to Cape Vincent. There's actually a ferry that runs, um, I don't know if it runs this time of year even at all, but it runs over to Wolf Island. And Wolf Island is actually where a lot of the transmitters are for Kingston. So when I am wow. standing in the cornfield where the tower for this station is in Cape Vincent, Mm-hmm. Um, I can see, there you go. You can, you can see where, where Cape Vincent sits there. And then Wolf Island is that Island right on the Canadian side of the border. And you take yeah. two hops of a ferry and it goes right uh, across Wolf Island and you can stop and see all of those towers uh, that are there. The big tower for channel 11 in Kingston. There was a big, um, ice storm in 1998 that destroyed that tower. It had to get rebuilt. Uh, there mm-hmm. used to be the two AMs that were in Kingston were on that Island and they both moved to FM. Uh, but then there's another ferry that goes from there back over to Kingston. Uh, and in theory, that would be how I would head over to Canada from this site if I needed to. And uh, at least so far I haven't, um, but it's, it's a neat area up there. And again, in the summer, the thousand islands are just beautiful. And, uh, I would rather be going up there in July than on say March 2nd. I was looking at the map there, Scott, we should do a, we should do a, a live show from there. Scott will go to the transmitter side while I check out the Cape Vincent winery. Yeah. So there's lots of wineries. There's great cheese up there. Ah, okay. it's called uh, Thousand Islands River Rat Cheese. That's just delicious. So back to the format. Uh, you know, stations do this thing that we call stunting when they play something that's not going to be their format. They blow up their old format with typically something annoying and stupid. I don't know why stations do that. Why would you get rid of all of your listeners uh, by playing, I don't know, this the, the Batman theme over and over again for a week mm-hmm. or whatever you may be doing. But They've decided to do something here at 102.7 that's at least interesting, and people may listen to it, a format that's not not too popular, at least not in these parts. Scott, what are they doing? So remember I said one of the co-owners is a guy named John Pohl, P-O-L-E. So they are okay. calling the station 1027 The Pole. And it is, there's, there's the logo. You kind of see where this is going, right? Uh, so they are playing all the sorts of music. That in theory, if one were to go to such institutions, I am told would be played in uh, gentlemen's clubs. Like maybe I don't know in Vegas, we can do some research on this or something. But uh, they have there's there's liners that go with this. There is allegedly an OnlyFans account that you could connect with. I'm, I'm told. Oh, oh my god! All I did was just you know plug the files into the automation. I had nothing to do with creating this. There's a consultant actually named uh, Paige Nienaber, who I think is the. Uh, the brainchild behind this particular thing. But uh, yeah, this this will be running, I guess, for a little bit longer. And then I literally have no idea what the actual format on this uh, Probab- is going to be. It's hilarious because uh, I'm somebody who tracks all of this information, and yet in this particular <laughs> corner of my existence, I'm the, I'm the hired hand just making sure everything gets plugged in and turned on correctly. Probably a lot of ZZ Top music. She's got legs. She knows how to yeah. use them, you know. Rock and roll songs that we Something grew up like with. That. I know the there was Cardi B playing today when I was listening. Uh, at, uh, I'm less familiar with that music. Reaction, like on the on the Watertown area Reddit page, I guess people are talking about it. So it's getting some attention for the station. <laughs> I'm sure. I was told I was on the phone with Canada today. I was swapping some cables in and out and had us off the air for a few minutes. And they said, "Hey, our texts are blowing up. People are worried we're not on the air." I said, "Okay." Good people are people are paying attention to this. You know that 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 logo the Suncast just showed. I, I'm you know, the the junior really bad graphic designer in me says, well, why not take the the decimal point and run a pole up from that, have it with an antenna at the top of it, you know, yeah. you know, transmitting yeah. radio waves, and have the young lady, yeah. you know, dancing on the pole. But you know, I'm not a graphic yeah. designer and wouldn't dare to play one. <laughs> My goodness, that would that would work. I like that. Okay. All right. So, um, but we remains to be seen what the format is actually going to be. I literally, you know, sometimes when people are stunting, they claim not to know. I literally do not know. Yeah. I will, I will find out when they turn it on. Well, and Hey, maybe they find out that this is popular (laughs) because there's, there's plenty of songs that, you know, might be played in the gentleman's club that, you know, might be popular elsewhere. I've never thought of Kingston as being that swinging a community, but you never know. (laughs) Maybe it's not at all. Oh my gosh. All right. So we've, uh, is is there anything else we want to talk about this station before we move on? 
nothing too exciting with it. It's just it's it's been interesting, you know, just educating them on some of the intricacies of U.S. operation that never occurred to them. Yeah. I think we still need to figure out who they're designating as the chief operator when they officially take uh, over. Yeah, little things like that that you know Canadian broadcasting seems in some ways so similar to what we do and then you actually go up and you look and all their stls are on weird frequencies and the as works differently so <laughs> yes. it's, uh, hey are they, are they on their own tower their there 24 7 oh that's right. oh they do yeah that's right uh yeah. do they have their own tower are they are they on somebody else's tower this is i believe an owned tower and there's another tenant on there there's a public radio station like i said that's the one that we're using the magic paper clip to receive because it's right there hey if if we could talk for a second about eas because them being canadian they weren't aware of our monitoring requirements uh they use a system that is similar to or maybe just like our caps system um uh provided by a nationwide provider a, a, a weather uh, channel uh what do you think about that could could a totally internet-based digital-based eas system would that be workable for the u.s because i know there are some U.S. broadcasters that would far prefer that. And when you're listening to an EAS alert or or a test that came in over the air and was relayed three times before it got to you, oh, my goodness. I mean, what a tune out. It would make so many things so much simpler. I mean, think about everything that all of us are going through right now, just getting that ETRS Form 1 filled out and then getting everything filled out immediately for Forms 2 and 3. and, and you know, if the object is to figure out, can you get something received via internet, then at least in theory, the system should also be able to report right back that it was received. And maybe mm -hmm. in the future, we don't have to deal with all of this hanging antennas in weird places, trying to pick up signals that aren't really clear enough to relay. And in the end, you know, it seems like we're moving towards a, a position where CAP is always going to come first anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I know, yeah. you know, I would much rather have a clean CAP delivered message. At what point do we at least initially start saying, okay, this legacy, um, you know, the daisy chain system is just a backup and then maybe we don't need it anymore at all? I wouldn't mind. I, I've I've had some thoughts about this and, and maybe I'm totally off base here, but it seems to me that one of the larger broadcasting concerns in the U.S., maybe iHeart, maybe Cumulus, maybe Odyssey, maybe EMF should petition the FCC for a waiver of the traditional EAS rules and say, hey, we want to do caps only and tell you what, we'll have satellite as backup. Every market we're in, we've got satellite dishes and we'll make an agreement with, I don't know, uh, well, maybe not Skyview. <laughs> okay, sorry. Mm -hmm. But, you know, maybe one of the, the providers uh, Premier, for example, and say, you know, they have a channel that they'll dedicate to to interrupting mm -hmm. with uh, with with a parallel message, uh, and they'll even handle it, you know, for regions. They'll, you know, people can can uh, uh, you know somehow submit their messages to that anyway, and show that the system can work just fine without mm -hmm. the station to station to station relay system that is audibly so bad. I know it doesn't doesn't usually have to be, but with the quality of, of I don't know, it's, it, it really makes me upset that A, we think we're depending on such an antiquated system. B, it sounds terrible. Sometimes you just can't even understand the audio. That's oh, if it's being coming delivered. in off, a, off an AM station, I was, I was filling out an ETRS for a station in Southern Indiana. I looked at their monitoring assignments like, you're not really listening to WHAS AM from 90 miles away. Come yeah. on, it's got to be all electrical noise where you are. And they said, yeah, it is, but it's what's on the assignment. Yeah. So, yeah, that, you know, I would I would be okay with that going. And, and one that you didn't mention as far as a provider is NPR and PRSS and the Squawk Channel. And pretty much oh. every public radio station is already getting, you know, at least the national EAS stuff off that Squawk Channel. So that's another mm -hmm. resource that's out mm -hmm. there. And the Sirius XM, I was talking with, I was talking with the other day, but somebody mentioned that, uh, they had changed in assignments that Sirius XM was now a primary. And you know what? Again, it's there. It's reliable. Sure. It's rock solid. The receivers are cheap. And away you go. That, those are all great points. And I was thinking if, if NPR and NPR affiliates would handle this responsibility, e either as a main or a backup way to do it, there's, 
there's there's kind of already a funding mechanism in place in case we said, mm -hmm. okay, but the government should pay for, you know, our, us taxpayers, we should pay for this and not put the burden on the NPR stations or on NPR. There's already kind of a funding mechanism in, in, in yeah. place that Congress could, you know, pass some money along for the purpose of, look, you guys maintain this uh, as well as the state maintain cap systems. Just a thought. And especially in the states that already have statewide public radio networks that are state funded. You know, sure. a lot of them that is already the backbone of their of their state emergency communication systems. And it's not just radio, DTV and especially ATSC three. I know uh Pennsylvania, especially some of the folks who are involved in that ATSC three system in Pennsylvania are using that as the backbone of their statewide emergency communications. So yeah. it not just, you know, can be done, it is being done. You know, I'm thinking of a state like Mississippi, which most people, you know, realize is typically near the bottom of the funding barrel for any topic, whether it's education or roads or whatever, but they have a statewide public radio network that I don't know how well funded it is, but it's well enough that that the the hundred kilowatt transmitters typically sound just fine, and it's all programmed mm -hmm. from Jackson, Mississippi. And I get you know again, I'm I'm not saying they're rolling in dough, but I am saying that it's funded well enough to work. And that that and in Kentucky, they don't have a statewide uh, radio state system but they do have a statewide television state system there mm -hmm. and they're all connected with uh with microwave and and uh, uh you know it's, it's a well enough funded system to work and you're right you could use atsc3 yeah north wow. north carolina the pbs statewide network in north carolina they've been a really big player now in uh, in emergency warning and as i hop back and forth the conferences uh in vegas in addition to nug on sunday morning there's a there's a new public broadcasting conference uh, the Skepizia is helping to organize with uh, PMVG, and I think they'll be talking a lot about some of that there. So I'm very interested to see what some of the latest developments are there. Well, I, I'm a I'm such a curmudgeon when it comes to the, the our current system. I, I really don't care for it, and I and I and I think it's proven out every time we do a test when you know a, a large number of stations you know don't get it or it's in, inaudible or it doesn't work. Uh, all right. Why don't we move on to a uh, to a more pleasant topic? Actually, we're going to foreshadow what's what's coming up. Tell me a little bit about uh, something about a FCC non-com filing window that that closed. You uh, you had some news about this, and I know very little about it. So this was last fall. Uh, the FCC every few years they'll open various windows for various applicants, and uh, there were a lot of non-commercial broadcasters who were hoping to fill some of the last holes that were available below 92 on the spectrum, and uh, that window opened and closed last fall. And the interesting thing, you know, for all that we justifiably slam on the FCC for being slow about things, they have whipped through this window uh, in near record speed. They had, you know, as usual, you get a bunch of what are called these MX groups, where application one is mutually exclusive to application mm -hmm. two, which is then mutually exclusive to three and so on. And the FCC has to create these groups and sort them out with all these arcane uh, you know, point system rulings and whatnot. And they have been going through these at just lightning speed, uh, mm. especially for Washington, to the point now where you know, not only have construction permits been granted, some stations are actually on the air now from this window. Um, and I think nearly everything that was mutually exclusive is at least on a pretty fast track to being sorted out, which is great compared to some of these previous windows where it dragged out sometimes uh, for five or 10 years before some of these things finally got settled. So as a consultant who handles a lot of these, I am very pleased that out of the 12 applications that I had a hand in, that all 12 of them ended up being granted in the end. Um, uh -huh. That was a pretty good batting average. Um, and there are some new areas that will be getting better uh, community non-commercial radio service as a result of it. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, can you? How did the FCC get through these uh, these MX, these mutually exclusive station groups uh, so so quickly i think they figured out a lot of the mistakes from previous years and have refined oh. some systems somewhat there have been there have been some public comments um and in rulemaking notices that have helped streamline these but i think everybody kind of a understood the system a little bit better this time mm -hmm. uh they reduced a little bit uh there was a cap this time any given applicant could only apply for 10 and so you didn't have some of these application mills uh, that were sometimes putting out, you know, hundreds of applications that gummed up the works um, ah, that were sometimes all over the country. And yeah. the rules are pretty straightforward. Um, you know, you get 
extra points uh, in one of these comparative, they're not really comparative hearings exactly, but in this comparative system, you get extra points for being an established applicant uh, that's existed as a non uh, as a nonprofit for more than two years. Uh, you get points for having everything local, all your board members within a certain radius from your transmitter site. Um, you get extra points if you're an established statewide network. And so I think everybody kind of going in knew how to play the game a little bit better. I think also a lot of the demand has been sated as we're seeing also with some of the commercial FM auctions now. You know, a lot of what's left are not huge facilities because we have just filled up the FM band in every corner where it can be filled up. So unless you're going, like I had one applicant that was wedging itself in, you know, right on the outside edges of the San Diego market. Um, and that was a little bit tight, but a lot of mine ended up just being singletons because there weren't that many people who wanted to serve one little triangle of rural Northeast PA, for instance. Uh, uh, I had a few yeah, that were up yeah. on the border in, uh, in Northern Minnesota and it all kind of went smoothly. I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I was actually kind of hoping to be able to spend more time working with some of these clients. And in some cases <laughs> I told them, oh, it'll be a couple of years till a CP gets granted. You don't have to have a budget in place yet. And all of a sudden it's, Oh, uh, your three-year clock is already running now. Get on uh, it. Wow. Wow. We are talking to Scott Feibush, uh, and uh, Scott's with Feibush.com. You can do uh, several different things at that website. We'll have Scott tell you about it. And Scott has an amazing announcement a little bit later on uh, about what he's doing in New York City. Uh, th it's this coming Monday, isn't it, Scott? It is. It is. It is. coming it is. Monday, okay. March so, 6th, which is actually well, my We'll have an announcement. On that, okay, we'll have an announcement on that coming up. Uh, plus, we're going to talk about turning in your AM license. Sad but true. And the station brokerage business with Scott is is, is a a member of that business, that community does that, and he's got some interesting news about uh, the activity level there. This week in Radio Tech is brought to you in part by Broadcasters General Store and some of the product lines they carry, like the amazing array of uh, helper products from Broadcast Tools. And one of them that I often talk about is uh, the Audio Sentinel for Web. It's web-based analog silence detector. Now, the Audio Sentinel for Web is a web-based four-channel or st uh, four-channel stereo or eight-mono channel silence monitor. All four stereo inputs are balanced. They feature pluggable screw terminal block and standard RJ45 audio inputs wired in parallel. So either way, either whichever way of wiring suits your standard, uh, each stereo input can be configured for monitoring, well, of course, audio, but also monitoring out-of-phase audio. You know, you may get a spot sometime from an agency, heaven for fend, and it's, it's out of phase. Uh, that still happens sometimes. I don't know how. Uh, or the input can be configured to act as two separate mono channels, allowing you to monitor, uh, you know, a couple of AM radio stations. Or if you just want to monitor, you know, the, the left channel of, of something, you can do that if you want to get more bang for your buck. So you can monitor up to eight different mono audio sources. It can be configured and monitored uh, locally or remotely over any IP network, including private networks, uh, IP-based industrial control networks, and, of course, over the public Internet. Users can operate this product using a desktop web browser or web-enabled uh, mobile device. Yes, your iPhone, your Android phone can work. Um, you don't need to download any apps from the App Store. It just works in your browser. And, of course, email notification can be configured to alert up to eight different recipients when silence or even out-of-phase audio is detected. Now, that is just one of the many, many, many things from, from broadcast tools. You know, their, their um, slogan, at the very top of their website, Broadcast Tools, Problem Solved. And if you know Don Wingett of Broadcast Tools, you know that he's been designing products to help us broadcast engineers for decades now. Uh, really designed solid, solid gear. I've got I've got so much Broadcast Tools stuff at my stations. Uh, and, and typically, you know, typically, actually, um, I have not personally installed them. My business partner, Larry Fuss, he'll order something and install it and configure it himself. And, you know, I don't, I wouldn't consider Larry to be a, a you know, a real broadcast engineer, but he can put this stuff in, get the wiring done, and um, and then the configuration done. So uh, hats off to Don Wingett for designing products that work, uh, that are reliable, and, uh, and fit the need of what you need to do. And where do you get them? <laughs> Broadcasters General Store. Uh, BGS.cc is the website, 
and they've revamped the website. And I love to call them because they, they are so good on the phone. The number is 352-622-7700. And you will literally find everything you need there at Broadcasters General Store. Scott, did I hear you almost say something? Or, or did I miss you? Oh, I was just I was looking at the product scroll by and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's AGAS update. I got to let the Canadians know about that, too. Daya, yeah. Yeah. Um, something, uh, it was just in the news, uh, BGS, Broadcaster General Store, uh, they are now carrying a line of production music uh, from the folks at Benstown. Uh, it's a uh, it's their package that's intended for Christian stations. So you don't have to be a Christian station to use this good package. Uh, it, it has the kind of the sound and feel that contemporary Christian stations might want to use. So anyway, the uh, Shane Finch, Buck Waters, the whole group, Dave Kirsten, uh, uh, Jonathan Shute, Jessica Shute, the whole gang there. What a wonderful family and group of people uh, to, to do business with. I've done business with them for literally decades. I used to sit in uh, Sam Phillips' office in Memphis, Tennessee, and Sam would say, Harnack, call them pretty girls over at Broadcaster General Store and order me a, order me a processor. <laughs> so there you go. Thanks a lot, BGS, for sponsoring This Week in Radio Tech. All right, Scott Feibush is with us. Scott, let's see, what were we going to hit uh, hit next? This, uh, oh, AM licenses. What What yeah. is going on? I, I think we kind of see yeah, this I coming. I don't, I don't want to dwell too much on this, A, because I only have limited time, and B, because it's so yeah. depressing. But, yeah, we are, uh, you know, we're seeing an increasing number of signs that the senior band, having hit 100 years old, is... Uh, showing its age um, and that market circumstances are dictating the end to some signals that would have been unthinkable a few years ago. The one that uh, a lot of people are paying attention to this week is in Las Vegas, where Odyssey had a really kind of unusual situation. Uh, they had, just a couple of years ago, acquired the other big AM in town. They already had 840 uh, KV, uh, not KVGS, so it was a KXNT now, uh, which is one of the two big news talkers in the market. And they acquired the other one, uh, 720 KDWN, um, from Beasley. And it was as part of this, this interesting deal where uh, they are losing the land that has been under the site. Beasley had been leasing uh, an Odyssey-owned site in North Las Ooh. Vegas that, when it was built 60 years ago, was your typical outside of Las Vegas site. It was in the middle of nowhere. There was barely a road mm -hmm. to it. It was just a bunch of towers in the desert. And lo and behold, you know, nobody could have expected that this particular location would turn out to be right in the middle of where Amazon would end up building a whole bunch of distribution <laughs> facilities. And wow. so over the last few years, you know, this, this site that literally you would have to drive over desert rocks to get to, all of a sudden it's paved roads to it, and all of a sudden it's surrounded by warehouses and highways, and all of a sudden the land underneath these towers is worth $40 million. Yeah. And when you have a couple of AM stations that are worth maybe $2 million each and an auxiliary facility for your FMs in the market that's not the main and your company like Odyssey that's not in the greatest financial shape right now and really needs cash, somebody comes to you and says, hey, here's $40 million. You pretty much say, okay, let's see how fast I can vacate this land. And so... Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting is that in this particular case, there hasn't even been any attempt to move these AM stations. You know, traditionally, you would have at least seen them try to put them somewhere else, rebuild them somewhere. And it's getting to the point now where some of these, the amount of money that it costs to build something new from scratch or to put a diplex in somewhere complicated, just overwhelms the actual value of the station. And it's easier uh, for a company that's only interested in the bottom line to say, okay, we'll just get rid of this. And, put it on an FM translator or what have you. And it's it's a sad one in particular because this has been the, the engineer there, Tracy Teagarden, uh, who I think you've, you've had on before, great, great guy, yeah. mm -hmm. um, has developed this site over the years as what he calls the Temple of Five Nines. And he's yeah. made this, yeah. you know, the, the ultimate backup facility for his FMs in the market. Um, beautiful tower there with a Lambda section antenna, great coverage over the Las Vegas Valley. And, you know, to see all that have to go away now is just absolutely heartbreaking. And a lot of that, unfortunately, is just, it's the reality of what's happening even to some of these huge AMs. And so this huge frequency, KDWN, was 50,000 watts. 
up until a few years ago, and you could hear it over half the West at night, and it's just it's just going to go away. It was actually supposed to sign off two nights ago, and for some reason, I guess, got a little bit of a reprieve and is still on the air today, but not for much longer. Uh, it's It's sad. It really is, but it's also the reality of where that particular piece of the medium is headed, I think. I realized that a uh, uh, year and a half ago, I, I drove by this site on my way to taking some vacation time in Utah. And uh, boy, there's all kinds. Of, th- th- yeah, this was out in the middle of absolutely nowhere f- uh, for the longest time. Now there's huge solar farms around it. There's a Love's truck stop uh, just off I-15 uh, right there, just uh, less than a mile down the road from it. There's there's a, there's a lot going on and a lot being built. And uh, if you look at a map, it looks like it's way outside Las Vegas. But no. Las Vegas is. It, it, I was surprised how far out that it's expanding out there, and it sure is. Yeah. I understand why. It's obviously the circumstances differ a lot from market to market. You know, something like <clears throat> the New Jersey Meadowlands are probably a little bit more impregnable to this. But yeah. I think you know a lot of companies are going to be looking much more carefully and saying, okay, what's worth more at this point, this license or the land under it? And that never used to be a consideration for most of these sites. It's it's a new world we're dealing with. Well, um, broadcasting has a lot of emotion attached to it. You know, if if you bought this piece of land as an investment, maybe you had a chicken farm there, who ca- whatever, you know, and then someone wanted to buy the land for $40 million, you wouldn't care. I'd be, oh, mm. You wouldn't be so attached to your chicken farm, you know. Uh, but at least most people wouldn't. But broadcasting, yeah, it, it's in our hearts. We, we hate to see it go away, and it affects a lot of people. Uh, AM band, less, less so now. Hey, real quick, let's get to uh, station brokerage. You are in that business. You help connect buyers and sellers, and you say that things are kind of moving along. What's, what's up? It is not awful, at least not for me right at the moment. Uh, you know, Obviously, the, the economy has slowed somewhat. A lot of the major buyers who were buyers a few years ago aren't necessarily – in that position right now, but there are some who are. And uh, I've had the pleasure in the last few months of arranging uh, some pretty decent transactions. I, I work, as you know, at WXXI Public Radio here in Rochester. I've been on the air there for uh, almost 20 years now. And uh, our news talk format, our NPR News and Talk, has been primarily on an AM signal, um, which has been, again, increasingly unsustainable. They've wanted an FM. And uh, there was one that was independently owned. Uh, by a fellow in the market who was pretty much ready for retirement, has a new grandchild, uh, had been running the thing sort of as a almost as a hobby during COVID. Uh, he was he was ready at that point, and we put that deal together. And within a couple of months, we will have a bigger signal on that and a uh, a full time NPR News Talk FM in this for the full time for the first time. So I was really happy to be part of that. Uh, there are some other deals that I'm watching going on with smaller broadcasters. Uh, a really great family-owned broadcaster not far from me uh, here in upstate New York. Uh, he and his wife are getting ready to retire, and they found their sales manager at the business and put together a plan for him that will bring in retirement income for them as he makes his payments over the years. They'll be affordable for him. So it's not impossible, and it's not a terrible time if people are interested uh, in actually getting into small market radio ownership. There are still some very viable businesses there. Uh, and the prices of stations are are fairly reasonable, so it's uh, it's not an impossible dream. We're talking to uh, Scott Feinbush, longtime friend of this show and of me personally, and lots of you too. Uh, famous for the Tower Calendar that comes out every year. The, the twenty twenty three is available now. You can be stupid like I was and order it uh, two months late. Uh, Two or three months late, but mine's on order. Should be here any day now. Looking forward to getting that package from Scott's wife, uh, Lisa. Hey, uh, Scott has got a really cool announcement coming up right after our last commercial break here. I can't wait for Scott himself to tell you about it. I wish I could be there at the event, but if you, you know, if you're within a hundred miles of New York City, you're going to want to plan a trip in the New York City. Hey, our show is brought to you in part by Max Connect Wireless. Uh, you know that these guys. This is Josh Bones' company. And he has made special arrangement with the major carriers, AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile, to get you prioritized data, prioritized internet data with a fixed IP address. I have used this very box, the one I'm holding right here. I have used this very box to hold my stations on the air in Mississippi after a tornado went right by our station, knocked over our STL tower, and, uh, and cut some of our stations off the air and cut off our internet for about a week. I've also used this very box to keep WEVL in Memphis, Tennessee on the air. 
It's a community radio station. And guess what? Of course, they were in the middle of their fun drive when lightning struck and took out the Comcast uh, business grade uh, box modem that they had there. This I got it down there in a few hours, got them back on the air, and they stayed on this for about four days until Comcast had them going again. So this is good, not just for emergency use, but for live remote broadcasts. Uh, you get 4G LTE data, and you get it very reliably because you get a part of the the data stream that almost nobody else gets. You get packet prioritized data prioritized over all those schmucks in the stadium who are doing their Facebook updates. The only people that have higher priority than you are first responders. And hopefully there's not a whole lot of action going on with them wherever you're doing a remote broadcast. So it, this thing works. It absolutely works. I've used it for a number of these broadcasts, most recently in Florida, when the hotel Wi-Fi was just not very good. And my own uh, hotspot and my own T-Mobile phone, uh, you know, it read okay, but there were lots of drop packets, even though it was in a 5G area, lots of drop packets. This held us on the air. Just great. Check it out. Max Connect Wireless. There's the website. You can go to uh, Max Connect. I know it's spelled funny.com and uh, read all about it. Try it out. Uh, Josh Bone will, uh, will give you a good deal. And uh, you may find a good use for it, like at your transmitter site as a backup STL. It's a good, good thing. Really appreciate having Josh on and the work that he did to make this service available to broadcasters. Hey, our show is also brought to you, as you know, by Angry Audio. And check this out. This is Mike Dosh's latest box. If I can hold the close to the camera here. It's the USB Analog Audio Gizmo. You say, oh, Kirk, there's all kinds of you know analog interfaces for USB. And they, they're fancier than this one because they've got you know knobs on them. Guess what? Yes, this is a fixed audio level in and out. This is designed like no other. Seriously. I was just reading, well, Mike Dosh told me about this problem, and I've had this problem right here in my studio as well. But I was just reading on, on a, a Facebook forum where an engineer was saying, hey, I've got this buzz and hum and crackle uh, whenever I connect up my uh, USB audio interface and my computer and, and my speakers, and it, it's, it just doesn't work well. Uh, well, what's causing all this? Well, it's ground loops. These things are notorious for being designed without regard to proper grounding. Well, guess what? You guessed it. Mike Dosh, designer of some of the PRE consoles, knows what he's doing in terms of grounding and ground planes and, and separating grounds when they need to be separated. So this box, the USB analog audio gizmo, gives you hum-free crackle-free audio in and out of your computer or other device that has a USB interface. And he even ships it with, of course, the USB uh, cable that you're going to need, uh, the USB-A to, is that B or D? I forget what that is. But anyway, the, you know what it needs. And, and he even includes a couple of the uh, Studio Hub adapters. So you can plug in the Studio Hub analog audio right here on the device and come out with XLRs on the other end. Ah, you got to check this thing out at uh, angryaudio.com. Good device, well-designed. It's for broadcasters. It's for you and me. Check it out. Thanks a lot, Angry Audio, for sponsoring our show. Okay, we got to go in just a minute, but Scott Feibush has got an amazing announcement. Uh, Scott, I, I don't want to give anything, anything away. You just you go ahead and tell us what's going on. I, have, I got a whole shopping list I've been keeping now for my Canadian people that I got to tell them we need this. We need, we've got to get Max Connect. <laughs> there you, you go. Have, Thanks. You've, you've, you've made a bunch of sales already. How do you like that? All right. So here's, here's the big announcement. We had, uh, we had done a show. I think it was the last time I was on from here with you, uh, as opposed to Vegas, uh, talking mm -hmm. about my sort of uh, stand-up comedy side hustle, as it were, mm -hmm. uh, that, that my uh -huh. wife Lisa and I both do. And we've kept it going. We survived through COVID. We started putting on shows on our on our deck in the backyard, uh, which became kind of a long-running series called Comedy on Deck, which will resume when the weather gets nice here again. Um, but in the process, I've actually had the opportunity now to do a little bit of traveling and to meet some comics in other cities. And so the really cool, really fun part is that uh, a friend of mine who does comedy in New York City uh, actually invited me to be on a show that he is doing. And so uh -huh. this coming Monday, March 6th, uh, at the Greenwich Village Comedy Club on McDougal Street uh, in New York City. Um, I will be part of the uh, 7.30 p.m. comedy show there. Uh, there's there's my name. There I am right there. Uh, so I will be doing <laughs> yeah, some of my stand-up for an audience in New oh, York. It's going to be, I, I've done some open mics there, so I've got some New York-specific material. My daughter goes to college there, and she has uh, 
unwittingly been a, a source of material for me, much to much to her chagrin and dismay. Um, I I steal shamelessly from family stories for my comedy. Lisa's a little classier than that, and uh, and doesn't so much. But uh, yeah, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward uh, to doing this, and and hopefully this will not be the last time that I get to be on stage doing comedy in New York. I get to do some radio bits. I have a whole bit that uh, I've been doing about the public radio voice and all of the things that you can do with the public radio <laughs> voice that you can't necessarily use on the air when you're on public radio. I, 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 just, I just saw a comic today. It looked like a New Yorker-style single-pane uh, sketch. And it was, it was a couple, and they were in bed. And they were both laying there, and she was saying, you know, next time we make love, could you not use your podcast voice? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. In the, in the public, I don't know what to make of that, but of that. <laughs> because I'm hoping at some point, I actually, I did a bit. Um, it, it's all see everything ties together somehow, right? So I'm a member of the National Association of Media Brokers, which uh, meets during the NAB show. We have a very secret, very early morning uh, meeting somewhere deep in the bowels of an unnamed hotel that may or may not be the encore. <laughs> and uh, they actually asked me to do a comedy set as part of the, <laughs> as part of the meeting last year. And I'm like, okay, I may be the funniest person on stage in Las Vegas at eight 15 on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's great. You never know. Oh my gosh. You can never guarantee it. Oh my uh, at least, at least wow. I had that chance for a moment and I got some laughs. So it was good. Good deal. Well, well, we'll put a link in, in the show notes. And if you're in the New York City area, Greenwich Village, check out Scott Feibush along with a bunch of other people. If you need comedy therapy, and, and by the way, you know, my own uh, sister uh, has been doing um, um, improv comedy here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've, I've attended probably four of her shows now, and I'm really enjoying it. So anyway, good, good. All right, Scott, thank you for being with us. I really appreciate you taking time out and sharing uh, all this information with us. Good. My I'll see you in always, Las Vegas. What? Always fun. Yes, I will see you in Vegas. About six weeks away, huh? Yes, getting close, closer and closer. All right. All right. Well, if you're watching, viewing, uh, I wish you'd uh, find me, find Scott, uh, say hi, let us know you watch or listen to the show, and, and of course, patronize uh, our advertisers. I want to thank Scott Feibush for being with us, and uh, also thank you to Suncast, our producer, for being so quick with the graphics and making mm -hmm. it all flow smoothly. Really appreciate that, uh, Suncast. And we got to go. We will see you next week on This Week in Radio Tech. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>